I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. I am the king of the ring. It's a good tuner, but I think I pay too much. Welcome to the Japan Web Podcast, episode 112. Whoa. It is I, Matthew, pmbigelow.com. This is the podcast, the Japan Web Podcast, that focuses on AI markets, society 5.0, news analysis, the growing tensions in the Indo-Pacific from a Japanese perspective, odd items and more. And uh, we're coming at you from the from the Samoncho Studios today in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan, the armpit of Asia. And uh, we all know the world's getting crazier. You know, you might go outside and touch the grass, as people like to say. Just touch the grass. And you go outside and you touch the grass, and you're like, huh, it does feel better. But what's this going on in my head? Indeed, indeed, indeed. That is uh, what you are having. I am having what you are having, Mr. Listener or Ms. Listener. We got a bit of a crazy studio going on today, let me tell you. But we're going to plow through overall. I think it's sounding pretty good today. Um, let's just hope that like a random construction site doesn't pop up next door and operate 24-7, which is happening these days with more and more frequency. Um... All right, so like I said, this is mostly a news podcast focusing on AI, facial recognition, markets in Japan, growing war, and kind of meddling world economic forum types in addition to bug eating and stuff like that. It's not like the stuff that you'd see in your regular day, or it's not like the the typical news of the day, like the prime minister has plans to announce a venue for an event for something that might happen next year. It's not, not that type of thing. It's, it's like I said, it's, it's more like tech analysis coming at you from a George Orwell perspective um, and trying to understand, like maybe we can just push some information out there that can um, steer steer certain aspects of dystopia away from dystopia. I'm not sure if it's working, but I'm plowing through nonetheless. It's a very open beach. It's a very blue ocean in this regard in Japan. Not a lot of people are doing that. <laughs> but SeaTech uh, is a tech event in uh, Japan. It's like the, the, the main one of the year. And uh, it's on right now. I'm probably going to go in the next couple of days because the theme, one of the major themes is Japan Society 5.0. Um, yeah, if you've been listening to this podcast for a few years, you've been knowing about that, but almost nobody else knows about it. But because I like to be way ahead of the curve on growing trends and things like that, because I don't have a TV, so I just find ways to kind of assume things that might be popular in the future and get ahead of the game so you're aware of the technicalities of about it or I'm aware of the technicalities behind the trends instead of just re receiving the news bulletin or the um, the advertisement or, or the product in the mall that you end up seeing or the product on Amazon that you see on the website or on your phone or whatever. So should be interesting. Generally speaking, though, because the world is getting dumber, um, I assume that most of these events are also really stupid and all of these products for Japan Society 5.0 are going to be really dumb. So instead of getting depressed about it, I'm going to find like entertainment value in it. Um, like the movie Idiocracy, when the main movie of the year is um, balls or something like that or ass and uh, people sit on a couch that has a toilet 
in the couch. That's just kind of where I'm and finding finding some sort of value there. <laughs> That's what I plan on doing at the C Tech 2023. I could be proven wrong. I could I could find and isolate some sort of product. Usually there's like 5,000 products and then one or two of those products um, has some sort of value behind them. All right, but enough with that. Let's uh, move on to some new products or services. Um, as we kind of move out of the gadget era, we see more and more services being offered. Uh, we used to get CDs and CD players, but now we have like music as a service, uh, a Spotify type thing or Apple Music. And it's not really a product anymore. It's a service. So when we, as we move into the service economy, uh, we see more services and, and some of them make no sense. And that's what this one is about for today. Coming to us from the Asahi Shimbum, Asia and Japan Watch. We're recording this on October 17th, 2023. For a price, new condo owners can drive into the living room by uh, Tomoki Morishita, a staff writer. Mm, I'll be taking a picture of this and you can go to MatthewPMBigelow.com to see all of those photos from the show today. Osaka. If money is no object, then perhaps this condominium is for you. All right, everybody, tune out now. The most expensive unit in a planned 46-floor complex just north of JR Osaka Station will have an asking price of 2.5 billion yen, or $16 million, making it the priciest in the Kansai region. We are going through insane inflation right now. Five years ago, if I read 2.5 billion yen, it would be like 10% less in like US dollars just for the international conversion rate. So I would kind of say 2.5 billion yen and then move the decimal point. Um, okay, $25 million and then reduce it to 24, just, just for rounding sake. You know, we're not, we're not mathematicians here on the Japan What podcast, but now it's down to 16 million just after four or five years, just after three years. It really picked up after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, so yeah, you five years ago, an asking price of 2.5 billion yen might be listed as like $14.5 million, let's just say. But now it's, uh, sorry, 20, $23.5 million. But now an asking price of 2.5 billion yen is, is down to $16 million, making it the priciest in the Kansai region. It's crazy to just watch the value of, because that's my money too. I used to do a lot of like importing stuff from, uh, abroad that I would like, like products and stuff like that. I, I bought like a $39 USD um, audio thing for my computer, like a software plugin. And it cost like, it ended up costing almost $60, 6,000 yen. So I'm like, what is going on here? Uh, the, 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 just watching your money shrink like shit, you know? Owners of other slightly cheaper deluxe condos will be able to use a special elevator to transport their cars from the street level right up to their unit while still in the driver's seat. A special car gallery will be built to allow the owner to keep an around-the-clock view of the car from the living room. The Grand Green Osaka project is being handled by a consortium of nine companies, including Mitsubishi Estate Co., the part of the complex with the indoor parking feature is being called the North Residence. 
It's not really good writing. A total of 484 units will be constructed. The cheapest unit will not be available for under 100 million yen or $900. The complex is scheduled to open in fiscal 2027. Um, I don't know. It seems like it's a stupid idea, but once you get an idea, like, what if you have a really nice car? Like, if you have a Jaguar and it's like the color of like this intense blue and you've done some customization on it, why would you park it where you can never see it? Why not park it behind a glass wall in your living room and now you have a view of an amazing automobile? I'm not really a car guy. I never have been. But the older I get, the more I'm just like the engineering that goes into these things is 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 stellar. And if you have like a little K truck or like a stupid, you know, $5,000 used Prius or something like that, maybe you don't get a hankering to look at it a lot. But man, if you have a really nice Mustang or like um uh what would be like a like a sports car of some type and you, you just park it behind the glass and then you sit down in your living room and you look at the car. I don't know. I actually think this is a pretty dope idea. I like this type of extravagance. It also says something about like your lifestyle. Like, yeah, I'm going to do something that's completely ridiculous and enjoy it because you only get one shot if you um, don't believe in reincarnation. And even if you do believe in reincarnation, maybe your guru is telling you this is the life in which you get to have a fantastic sports car and park it in your gosh darn living room, you mother funsters. Try not to swear these days. Uh, so that's that news. <laughs> if you're interested in some of those photos, go to MatthewPMBigelow.com. Um, war. Let's go to war. So that was that. That, that new service. Uh, war is on our minds. Die for the war. Everybody moves. Die for the good. For the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. Now, um, thinking about all of this war stuff, and there's a lot of, lot of war stuff going on, let's be honest. Um, we have the COVID war. Uh, which was a bioweapon released onto the world uh, from China in cooperation with the likes, I believe, of Dr. Um, Anthony Fauci and those. It's a crazy cabal of clown world um, mad scientists. So I don't believe that it's like the Chinese versus the Americans in like some sort of Olympic sport. Once you get to like a very high level in any type of sort of niche field, you end up with a vast natural diversity that occurs. And if you are, um, yeah, if you are like a a molecular biologist and the top of the line, you're going to be working with people from Switzerland, people from Saudi Arabia, people from Japan, people like, it's like a weird niche, a tiny segment of the population that has the brains and the interest to pursue this type of super high um, intellectually required um, career path, you're going to be mixing it up. And the same thing goes with gain of function viruses. So it's not like when I think about the Wuhan virus, uh, uh, University of Virology, 
I'm not thinking it's like uh, the 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 Chinese government plan to secretly overthrow the universe. They already have those plans. They're pretty open about it. I think that a lot of those high-end people were probably working together and it was either leaked by accident or quote-unquote by accident just to see what would happen to the world. And we know what happened there. And what happened as a result of that war was um, supply chains. We went crazy with supply chains. We still are going crazy with supply chains. A lot of chips ended up being lacking in the auto universe. And um, and it goes on and on and on. And then we had the Ukraine. We still ongoing. But now that Israel is at the forefront, we can just forget about Ukraine. Ukraine is done. It's over. Who cares? But. The fertilizer war, all of the fertilizer that Russia was selling on the international markets, they get kicked out of the SWIFT system by the, the Europeans and the kind of the, you know, the those types, the G7 types. Um, we see the price of fertilizer going way up. And then as a result, Colombia can't import as much fertilizer as it used to because of the price increases. And then the coffee farmers don't have as much fertilizer to put on their crops and the, the leaves don't get as big. So the coffee beans get more damaged by the sun. And now we have less tasty coffee at higher prices. The The knock-on effect goes on and on and on and on. Um, and then of course we have the weird climate opportunists that see this as a great reason to shut down all the farms in the world. And they say, we need to turn Amsterdam into a giant city. Therefore we need to tr get rid of all the farms because of their nitrogen. And now we don't need those farms because farms are bad for the environment. Seriously, that's what they're saying. And we have like these weird, weird death called opportunists. So the more we go down these roads and we just kind of accept the leading narrative, the more and more like this death cult is emerging. And that's like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, if you think about it in such ways. Famine, war. Uh, one of them is like change of empire, actually. And what's the other one? Famine, pestilence. It's pestil no, that's disease. Yeah, so we had COVID. It's all coming together. Uh, and the more we just kind of go, whoa, well, that's Putin's fault. And then go about our daily lives. Well, what? What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> more, more down this road, and we're going more and more down this road. But, you know, it doesn't really affect Japan that much. It shouldn't, in my opinion. Um, we should not have had two and a half years of basically international lockdown going on in, in, the Jap in Japan's country and the economy and stuff like that. Shouldn't have happened. Uh, way of an overreaction. It still is, and now all the elites believe they have did the right thing, and they're giving each other rewards and really just kind of taking a victory lap over all of that, just making our lives worse. Um, and then as well, like the Russian invasion of the Donbass shouldn't have had inflation as we've had and, and the, the yen tumble as it's had. But there we go. We're just hyper-connected right now. And the same thing going on with the um, conflict that erupted last week in the Ukraine, not the Ukraine, in Israel and in, in Gaza and, and Hamas and the and the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. Well, Japan relies on ninety five percent of its oil imports from the Middle East. Uh, so all of this thing, all of it goes down to back to goes down and back to supply chains, and it affects Japan along every step of the way. Japan is this sort of 
weird center port uh, center point of of the supply chain in the world it's not like a creator but it's like an importer it's an exporter it's a refiner it, 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 certain places in japan make like one thing that's used in a materials uh solution that gets put on to the outsides of airplanes to keep them cool or some sort of thing like that and uh as as we get more and more interconnected, these little regional things that pop up end up having this massive knock-on effect that comes back into those of us in Japan and obviously where you are outside of Japan and affecting you in your own corner of the world in your own way. So that's what we're getting into when we think about war here and um, in terms of the supply chain aspects. Like, I, we don't really have to worry too much in Japan about Japanese people dying in the Donbass region or in uh, Israel, Ukraine. Maybe a little bit, but not all that much. Uh, when it comes to Taiwan, though, yeah, now we're now we're getting onto death's door. Now the 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 horseman is is you know plunging out of the water and into the water, out of the water, the scepter in hand, pointing it at Japan and saying, "You, you are next." Um. So let's take a look here at some of the war situation that's going on in Japan. And it's cyclical as well, um, as are all wars. We all know that uh, Gaza and Israel, and it's all a big mess and nobody knows any good ideas. And I certainly don't have any except not to get involved. Because when you get involved, you piss off a bunch of angry Palestinians and you piss off a bunch of mm, Jewish people as well. Uh, they're pissed off. <laughs> Sounds weird. <laughs> Jew is such a strange word, isn't it? It's like, yeah, a bunch of pissed off Palestinians. It's like, well, okay. Then you get a whole bunch of pissed off Jews. And it's like, whoa, where are you going with that? Nowhere. It's just the way the word sounds. I mean, you can be a pissed off Jew. You could be a happy Jew. I don't know. See, the second you get involved, immediately my brain is going, you say the word angry Jew, you're going to get some blowback. But I have receipts to back this up. Let's begin now here. What happened is something hilarious happened. Um, to talk about the situation in the Palestinian conflict with, with via Hamas with, with Israel that recently happened, a TV station in Japan, TBS, aired an interview with somebody called Mei Shigenobu. Now, her mother, Fusaku Shigenobu, was a communist terrorist who, who worked within Palestine and kind of helped blow up some airplanes in the name of spreading communism via the army, like a communist army, the Japanese army, or communist army, something like that. TBS decided to put her daughter, whose father is a unnamed and presumed dead Palestinian, on TV to talk about the Palestinian-Israeli um, conflict. So... When it comes to this connection in Japan, it goes back to kind of the boomer era. And there are like these weird factions within Japan that really support Palestine or really support Israel. There's like a religious Israeli type religion going on in Japan that believe that like God and the image of the Jews is like this pristine thing. And they, they sing songs together. And I, I'm a big fan of 
Jewish music. I played klezmer music for 10 years, for God's sakes. Um, but anyway, so TBS airs this report featuring the daughter of a, of a, of a renowned terrorist and May Shigenobu, the daughter that was interviewed, seems to be pretty proud of her mother. And so the Israeli ambassador to Japan goes on to the foreign correspondence of Japan YouTube website. This is like um, a group of journalists that do interviews and hold press conferences and, and kind of anybody can be invited or do it. It's a pretty interesting YouTube channel. And um, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, but Gilad Cohen, um, the Israeli ambassador to Japan, um, was really angry about the uh, aspect of getting Mei Shigenobu on to the uh, airways and to tell the Japanese people what this conflict kind of means due to her inherent biases against Israel. Now, I'm not for one way or the other. I mean, uh, I'm from Canada, so Canadians kind of carved out a country by conquest. Not easy to do, not easy to preserve. So my kind of understanding is like, okay, if the if the Jewish um, what's it called diaspora wants to return to Israel and make a country, uh, good luck. You you go and try and do that, but it's a risky business. So that's all I'm saying about that. And the Palestinians there, well, maybe they're not going to be too happy with a lot of an influx of people coming in, just like the Indians, the Native Americans or whatever, the, the, the First Nations people of Canada weren't too happy with the European conquest. Either one side wins, the other side falls, or the other side comes back later to win again. We don't know, but just all I'm saying is you want to go nation building? Good luck. I don't want any part of it. Um, so we're going to get into the comments of the Israeli ambassador to the, um, to Japan, uh, on this YouTube, uh, channel here. And we'll come back with some commentary and some follow-up about the, um, alleged terrorists that he is uh, talking about. I'm sorry that I'm very emotional, but I think it speaks for itself, but I have to say to you that I expect the coverage, I know that I'm talking to the media, to be fair with Israel. Think of what would you do if you were on our stands, how you can absorb it. Unfortunately, yesterday I saw in uh, TBS News, which I respect this uh, uh, TV. Sure you do. They are interviewing the daughter of Shinegobu, the murderer who assassinated Israelis 50 years ago. Her daughter was a commentator here in Japanese TV. What is this? What is this? Her mother was very proud of assassinating uh, 25 or 27 Israelis 50 years ago in Ben-Gurion Airport, if you remember it, with Kozo Okamoto. Don't remember. Very proud of it. After she re was released uh, from prison last year. And her daughter now is praising what's happening. So what is the message? What is the message for Japan? It is okay to assassinate citizens? It is okay to assassinate uh, this week in Israel and 50 years ago in Ben-Gurion Airport to shoot at innocent people? And now she's giving, she's, she's giving the, the, the ground and the floor to speak. And to say, 
This is okay. In Japanese TV. <laughs> this is appalling, and I'm very, very sorry that I saw this kind of, but I do think that Japan as a nation stands by Israel with our liberal values and democracy and human rights and protecting and defending our people should stand by us and not allow to this uh, family of murderers and, and terrorists to give uh, the floor to speak against uh, us and our human values. Thank you. All right. So there he is, Mr. Mr. Ambassador. Now, you know, all right, I understand he's pissed off. Uh, and I don't think he was watching TV uh, when this happened. This was obviously brought to his attention. Um, when I was working in the mainstream news media in print, I ran into a similar situation for something I did as well. This involved war and uh, sort of those very heated Middle Eastern types. Uh, they get they get worked up. They do. Um, there was like, okay, so when, you, when you're designing a page for, for news journalism and print, um, you're really restricted by the amount of space you have for a headline. So the, sometimes you want to use some words and you can't use the words. There was a, a situation where this doesn't involve Israel or, or Jews. It's like Muslim on Muslim type stuff. Uh, Turkey and the Kurds. <laughs> Sounds like some sort of dish, doesn't it? Turkey and the Kurds. They don't really get along in many respects because um, the Kurdish people want their own um, country and they fight a lot with Turkey for some reason. I'm not really clear about it, but this was happening where Turkey was saying that they're going to launch an attack on some Kurds and this was like in a news story. Not really that important for uh, Japan, but I just thought it would be something that people should know about. So it was going at the bottom of a page and this is like a page, they're big pages, so there's six or seven stories on each page. This was going on the bottom left corner of the page, meaning it's not that big of a story. And I, I put like a like the headline that I wanted to use was like, Turkey plans to um, launch attacks on this group of Kurds in this region. There's just not enough space. There's on the internet, you can do that. Nobody's going to care. But just on the on the page, there's not. So it's like, well, do people understand what these sort of Kurdish acronyms are and these Turkish acronyms are in Japan? No, they don't. They don't understand it at all. So it's like Turkey plans to attack Kurds in this zone. I can't remember where. And I had a picture of like a woman, a Kurdish woman who was crying and it was taken like 20 years ago, but it was published by AFP on that day uh, as uh, Agence France Press, I think it's what it's called. Um, so I put that picture in, a very small picture, and it was something like Kurds plan, oh sorry, Turkey plans to um, launch attacks on uh, Kurds. And it was like in Northern Syria, but this picture was from southern Syria. The next day after that paper went out, I get hauled into the office by the senior manager of the division of the newspaper I was working in. He opens the page to the to this this thing I had. I, I just wrote the headline and put it in a picture. And then he pulls out a um, a letterhead from the Turkish embassy with like a whole formal letter. 
saying how they were really angry that we published this picture from 20 years ago that was in an area of Kurdish um, places where the Turkey were not planning to attack now and that we, 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 we used vague language to describe all Kurds and stuff like that. That last part was kind of insinuated, but I, and I got into big trouble. So it's like the entire job of some embassies, people in the embassies, to scour through the news of the day and and find things that that go against their own version of reality and then to impose that version of reality onto the rest of us. It's like, all right, well, maybe there's a lack of um, people in Japan that are very familiar with the Palestinian conflict. (laughs) And maybe May is like one of the few people they have. Probably not. They probably got a, could have gotten some uh, university people who might be a little bit less biased, a little bit less proud of their mothers killing Jews. I certainly don't want any harm to fall on any Palestinians or or Jews. I, I want them both to thrive, to do well, everything like that. I'm against the killing. Um but it's true. There's like a it's like a surveillance apparatus, and part of the the reason why we have all these embassies all over the place is so that they monitor each other's media, and uh, call people out when something goes against their um, uh, ideals. And there's people's jobs to do that. And I was, I was as well uh, at the end of a stick, getting beaten for for not including enough information in a headline about some sort of random like minor thing that was going to happen between Turkey and the Kurds and they get they 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 don't blow you up but they blow up about it they just get really angry and start writing letters all over the place <laughs> so anything else about that i just thought well it, it, you know keep your feet out of it is one way to look at it just skip over it <laughs> that's not what we're doing here though i hope i don't get in trouble for any of this but if you want more information about mei shigenobu and fusaku uh, fusako shigenobu um, i'm going to be linking their information to the matthewpmbigelow.com website and you can go check them out there it's pretty fascinating because um, up until like the mid 60s and stuff like that, there was a huge communist movement in Japan. Um, and the reigning powers, the LDP, worked with um, America and, and certain Korean factions to eliminate them from gaining power as part of that Cold War initiative. And it still floats back to us uh, to this day in different ways, one way or another, in the form of like weird churches or um, uh, long lasting relationships with certain backdoors in the CIA and intelligence operations and things like that. And if you think that's like a conspiracy theory, you really got to wake up because there's like the war on communism where the Korean war or the Vietnam war, like the kinetic war, but there's the information war. There's the war of the hearts and the minds. And there's like, Hey, if we will open up some really lucrative channels to America for you, if you go against these communists and stuff like that. So it, it, it gets established and, but it's not really that known, but then it comes back and it blows up again and again and again. It's kind of interesting. Let's move on to another aspect of war. We'll just um, get away from the the Middle East right now. We're, we're ejecting from the black hole of the Middle East. 
A couple of headlines for you here. What if North Korea stages military drills with Russia and China? Um, this comes to us from, I think, NorthKoreaNews.org, NKNews.org. Um, the nightmare scenario is plausible, but there are many practical limitations to trilateral war games, um, the experts say. Um, and I'm going to be, there's a great piece of artwork on this page. It's like that um, Stalinistic, communistic uh, style of art with um, the Kremlin in the background and a North Korean pilot in the foreground. Uh, you got to go to MatthewPMBigelow.com to check this thing out. It looks pretty cool. Um so this is just like a what if it's like a war game scenario. Um, and it, I'm not, should I read from it? Mm. Once outdated and incapable, North Korea's modernized nuclear armed Corvettes and several new nuclear submarines now claim their country's naval foothold in the sea of Japan in brazen defiance of the U S Republic of Korea, Japan Alliance that used to dominate the region. So this is like um, a war game scenario. It's like a what if. North Korea's intercontinental ballistic missile program has seen unprecedented progress in line with Kim Jong-un's call for exponential growth of nuclear weapon production. The country bolstered its arsenal, conducting numerous tests to prove its capabilities of launching solid propellant ICBMs at a normal angle, posing a direct threat to the U.S. and its allies while moving one step closer to fulfilling its long-honed dream of perfecting hypersonic missile capabilities. It goes on from there. Um, you can you can read it um, as you as you wish. Uh, corvettes are an interesting class of um, naval capability. Usually, kind of small um, but quick and um, deceptive as well. Uh, they they might look like something that they're not, if that makes sense in the world of uh, naval um, psyop, and, and that's that. Well, the one thing I reason I bring up North Korea kind of frequently is it's a wild card. And if Russia and um, China are going to work together uh, for the Ukraine invasion, well, then probably they're going to work together as well for the invasion of um, Taiwan. And um, involving North Korea in that introduces like a crazy wild card where you get really close to South Korea and you also get into Japan. Um, Japan is home to about 30,000 North Koreans who still identify as North Koreans. There's North Korean schools. They have pictures of Kim Jong-un and Kim, Jong Kim Il-sung in the classrooms. And when they conduct nuclear tests or ICBM launches, some schools will go out in the courtyard and like salute the skies and things like that. Um, so by having North Korea involved, it's like a distraction well, it, it, it changes the front, the war footing of the front to strictly the Taiwan Strait, where South Korea and Japan can just go down to the Taiwan Strait and, and cause some shit there, blow some up, blow up some uh, Chinese capabilities and then come back. Well, with North Korea is involved, now South Korea has its northern border to protect and now Japan has to worry about sleeper cells within its own borders. So in terms of war strategy, involving North Korea on the side of Russia and China is a brilliant move. Um, you don't know what they're going to do. You don't know when they're going to do it. And you know that if, if push comes to shove, they're, they're insane communists and they who knows? So uh, it really creates like a, a throws a, a wrench into the into the war footing or the footing of of American led coalition forces and what they should do, how much energy they should allocate to the uh, Taiwanese Strait should uh, North Korea start uh, attacking from the northern front. So that's that. 
active service in Taiwan's armed forces has dropped. Now, one thing that I've noticed that we see a lot of is um, America, we believe that Taiwan should be a democracy. Japan, let's let's help Taiwan. Oh, let's, it's, let's build some chip factories in Japan and, and uh, America for, from the Taiwanese manufacturing technologies. It's the best in the world. But you don't really hear much from the, from the Taiwanese side. And I'm even thinking that they might even just go ahead and just let China annex them, put up a little bit of a fight just to prove to its um, Asian neighbors that they tried, but then just give up and become uh, communists. They'll throw away their democracies and, uh, and, and replace their constitution with Mao's little red book. Maybe that's what's going to happen. And I'm just, I'm thinking that way because I don't see a lot of um, Taiwanese uh, resistance growing at the moment. Uh, there's there's a rich business history between them now, and they're free to go back and forth between their countries for the last how many decades to make money and business. And do they really see themselves as some sort of democracy, or is that just like a dressing, like a like a facade on the edge on the on the front of a building? But you go into the building and there's like a a tunnel to the next building that claims to be its competitor, but they're really just working together the entire time. Sound familiar? Maybe that's what's going on here. This is um, coming to us from a news report from Taiwan, and it's about how the amount of service people in the, in the military is dropping. So with all of like this calls to war and arms and protect Taiwan, one might assume that people that are interested in defending their their democracy to prove to China that Chinese can be democratic, you'd think that they would fight for their democracy. Well, it maybe not. So if 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 the resistance within Taiwan is actually very 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 minor, um, maybe they're just gonna get annexed. Who knows? Because like I said earlier, if you want to go and build that country in the Middle East, Israel, Mister. Jewish, Mr. and Mrs. Jewish diaspora, good luck to you, but it's no easy task to maintain a country. You got to be willing to kick some fucking ass if people start ripping your shit apart. And unless you're willing to do that, sayonara, suckers. So let's take a look at the, this report from Taiwan, uh, and then we'll come back to you in a second here. The number of volunteers in Taiwan's armed forces has fallen to a five-year low. The country currently has just over 155,000 volunteers in active service. They form the bulk of Taiwan's military, but their numbers have declined by almost 10,000 in the last two years. Last year, Taiwan extended mandatory military service from four months to one year. But while conscripts will serve for longer, some analysts say low salaries and heavy workloads mean fewer people are enlisting as career soldiers. I forgot to mention, I'm watching. I got this off of Twitter. The account is Indo Pacific News, and it's from Taiwan Plus News, and it goes into from now a comment by a um, an expert, and uh, it's in Taiwanese. So I'm going to do my Name best to narrate. Enlisting as career soldiers. There are chores that affect troops' training and morale. For example, I was involved in disaster relief, which is a way soldiers are commonly used, but afterwards there was almost no chance of leave. I hope they can improve its retention rate to make up for the shortfall in enlistment. So there we go. 
very minor thing, but it's like, oh, they make us do chores and they make us help out with disaster relief with no leave afterwards. My democracy is not worth defending because of such things and all this rising tension and all the billions of dollars being allocated and the ideas floated by the intelligence community of the Americas to use Japan and Korea as a launch pad with, with Philippines to protect to protect Taiwan and it's super precious democracy. But what did the Taiwanese have to say? I had to do chores and I didn't get enough time off. So uh, we're not, I'm not going to join anymore. Bye, guys. All right. Good luck with your country, Taiwan. <laughs> um, moving on. Russia's foreign minister to visit North Korea. Um, and that's just, again, going back to that previous one. Um and Putin's visit to Beijing underscores China's economic and diplomatic support for Russia. A lot of people are saying that the Chinese economy is being destroyed. And I mentioned on last week's podcast, yes, it is, but they might be using the Chinese affiliated economy with America's economy to destroy that, to, to impact um, pro-American stances in, in, in Asia um, by just kind of stabbing their economies a little bit and then bolstering their own economies um, within Asia between Russia, China, Iran, all those places to kind of create um, an intra-Asia uh, multipolar economy. So they get rid of all the dollars, they get rid of a lot of the other things and um, and then, you know, set up their own their own way forward. And a way to do that is um, to de-dollarize and if you uh, destroy the value of the American dollar by upsetting the, the billions or trillions of dollars that have been invested in China. Well, you might be able to break free, like a, like paying a divorce rate or something like that. Uh, this is the cost of divorce. Uh, I'm going to lose my car, but I'm going to gain my freedom. That might be the way the Chinese Communist Party is looking at such moves. Um, and so we can see that there's uh, an increase in activity between uh, Putin, uh, Beijing, North Korea, and uh, amid all of that, with uh, Taiwan next on the chopping block, they're just saying, they make us do chores and we don't get enough free time. So good luck to you guys. Good luck to you guys indeed. And that's going to take it away for the war segment for today. Pretty heavy segment. Die for the war. Everybody moves. For the good, for the good, die for the war, die for the war. Next on to Japan Society 5.0. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0 a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. 
All right. So Japan Society 5.0. I, I, I hope to go to that C-Tech thing and see what all their stupid Japan Society 5.0 solutions are. Um, we'll see if they're any good. But um, one thing that I noticed from last week that I wanted to get to was this. It comes for us from Barrier Free. It comes to us from Barrier Free Japan, which is a uh, uh, a website that looks at trends in, in how Japan is doing with um, providing uh, options and services and infrastructure to people who are disabled in one way or another, or one form or another, um, kind of a wide spectrum analysis. And it talks about the Tokyo, oh, Tokyo Award testing metaverse office for disabled and seeks full support by fiscal year 2028. Um, the website, the, sorry, not the website. Well, the website is barrierfree.com, barrierfreejapan.com, sorry, and operated mostly by uh, Michael uh, Peckett. And he, I'll be posting his um, information onto matthewpmbigelow.com if you're interested in such things. Now, one reason why I am um, focusing on stuff like uh, disabled access for Japan Society 5.0 is by putting everything into the metaverse, it's like a lazy solution and it's not really that good. What are you going to do? You're going to give a, a, a phone on, uh, to somebody to put on their nose so that they can go to a pretend office and like pretend that they're in an office. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, and it also puts a lot of, um, it makes everybody lazy. Uh, so one of the things that I like about barrier-free access is that it forces engineers and civic engineering to look at their physical structures around them and make them accessible to people who have difficulty accessing them. And it, it's always like a never-ending road because let's say you build a wheelchair ramp and you go, well, it looks like we have enough access for the disabled, but what if there's a disabled person who can't Climb or walk up that ramp or walk up the stairs. What do you do then? Oh, you installed a little um, uh, escalator. Okay, well, that's good. But then you run into somebody who says, I can't stand evenly on the escalator. And so what do you do then? Like, well, now we've attached a little seat that you can get into and it goes up the side of the stairs. So it, in, in some ways, you got to limit it. But in other ways, you got to think about how many people you can widen the access to. Um, what, and it can get a little scammy as well. So if there's like um, uh, advocacy groups, like uh, you see this in American swimming pools at hotels or something like that, where they have to install a giant um, uh, bucket for a bucket style device for people who use wheelchairs or people who might be developmentally disabled uh, so that you can put them in it and then the chair can kind of hoist up like a giant, like it almost looks like construction equipment and then it can dip the person into the pool and now that disabled person now can enjoy the swimming pool. Well, that's fine and dandy, but what if you're just a small hotel operator and now you have a $60,000 piece of advanced technology you got to maintain is being dipped into chlorinated water um, and it's like it gets used three or four times a year, but maybe there's like an advocacy group that regulates, that mandates all hotels need all of this technology and it has to be to this spec. Well, now it's getting a little scammy and it could be just for 
profiteering on behalf of the disabled. So you're not the, the these companies aren't looking to provide services to the disabled. They're they're trying to extract money from places by enforcing standards on them. It can go that way. So I'm just trying to be even-minded about it. But overall, I think that when we look at practical applications and widening the amount of availability to the disabled, it makes the the world a better place. It's a stupid cliche, but here we go. In the Metaverse Ward office, local residents can use their avatars to move around inside a virtual municipal hall. It's like, it's a video game with none of the fun, which is designed like the real one. After accessing the virtual space from the ward's website, the ward aspires to make the service fully available to all residents covering all of its departments by fiscal 2028. So you're going to basically have a video game where instead of going around and shooting zombies, you go around and you talk to a, a user interface that's designed with an artificial intelligence chatbot behind it, where you walk up to it and say, I have some paperwork and I want to know if it can be validated here. And then they tell you, no, it cannot be validated here. Come back three weeks from now with this extra piece of paper. Something along those lines. <laughs> it's a totally ridiculous idea. This comes, this was originally published, I think, by... I can't remember. But anyways, it's from, from the Mainichi. Um, Tokyo's Edogawa Ward is trialing a virtual ward office in the metaverse, aiming to offer administrative services for people unable to visit the real-life office. <laughs> it's called a website. <laughs> in the metaverse ward office, local residents can use their avatars to move around. Uh, starting September 20th, some local groups of people with disabilities have been allowed to complete procedures and seek consultations at the ward's Department of Welfare for the Disabled through the metaverse. The initiative, which is uh, rare nationwide, according to the ward, ultimately aims to provide administrative services equally to all, including those who find it difficult to come to the ward office for a variety of reasons. All right. Something similar was uh, tested in um, China, actually. Not the metaverse. It's not. Is, is it the metaverse? It's it's a it's a virtual reality video game with none of the fun. Um, that's what it is. It's not really a metaverse. People keep trying to push the metaverse. Nobody wants the stupid metaverse. It's way easier just to use a screen or a website or anything else but virtual reality government offices. This is a stupid idea. It's ridiculous. But a similar thing was trialed in China where um, old people in hospitals were given a screen, an interactive screen, and they could um, sort of like use it to research about their illness or provide information or uh, update their information or their blah, 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 blah. But there's also an option to talk to an expert. And most of the old people would just always talk to the expert just because they wanted somebody to talk to. So the end result wasn't like this um, screen where they could advance their own medical understanding of the world around them. It just became a phone. It was like a phone, a phone on a screen. Now, the metaverse could become that, but you don't. are you talking to somebody wearing virtual reality goggles in a in a administrative city office somewhere oh, who are you talking to in the metaverse um can you go up to a payphone in the metaverse and then call somebody and then they talk to you 
maybe that would be okay. It seems all too elaborate and such things have been trialed and, and put forth before. Doesn't really ever work. Whereas um, when you design the world to um, accept such people coming into your uh, offices, it makes more and more human to human contact possible. So that's why I kind of advocate for the engineers of the world and the city administrators of the world to, to get off their asses and be less lazy. Because the end result is if you just say it's the metaverse, you can just tell disabled people, we don't need to have an elevator in this building because you have the metaverse. So just stay at home and use the metaverse. Don't get in your wheelchair and come down to the office. Go to the metaverse and talk to us, talk to our chat bot in the virtual world behind a desk. And then you can decide, you can find out if your paperwork is valid or not. It's like a, it's actually cruel. It's like a cruel version of fake humanity. And uh, so that's my, that's my take on that. Some other things going on in Japan Society 5.0. Uh, Cyberlinks facial recognition receives South Korean cybersecurity certification. The advancements in facial recognition technology are rapidly increasing. And uh, it's even getting to the point where it's being attached to people's social credit scores in China. And you have to have a certain score in order to use a vending machine. So you go up to a vending machine, it scans your face ties your face to your social credit score and then permits you or does not permit you to use the vending machine to buy a bottle of water or um, a snack or bag of chips or whatever. In China, it's probably some bat soup. Um, so Cyberlink, the company, this comes to us from biometricupdate.com. Uh, Cyberlink, the company that has been putting facial recognition into companion robots... <laughs> has a new certificate that will help it capture the South Korean market. It's a Taiwanese company, uh, and the new certification is a fresh addition to the company's test scores. Cyberlink says it has achieved a true acceptance rate of 99.83% in its most recent test in March. It also passed the Level 2 compliant liveness detection tests to um, the uh, presentation for attack detection standard. Um, during its certification, um, it the face me with uh, some sort of application associated with it achieved one hundred percent accuracy with zero percent equal error rate under variables such as different lighting conditions, facial expressions, face angles, and accessories. The company said in the release. This had a Japanese aspect to it as well. Yes, in Japan, the company has helped uh, the CAC Corporation introduce facial recognition checkouts in its unmanned mini-stop pocket stores. Payments can be completed in three seconds, according to the firm. Back in July, Cyberlink announced it would provide its face recognition tech to the U.S.-based retail point-of-sale technology maker Simpello. Um, it's also being used for insurance in uh, Taiwanese, uh, for Taiwanese companies, and it kind of goes on from there. So as you can see, it's like, okay, it's a facial recognition company, but it's used for mini stop payments, like a convenience store chain in Japan. It's being used for insurance. It's being um, used for uh, cybersecurity. <laughs> so it's one company providing facial recognition technology for all of those different things. So to think that like facial recognition technology is just to unlock your phone, 
or make a payment at a Chinese um, vending machine, you're wrong. It's, it's, it's being used increasingly for everything. And you can't leave your home without your face. So unless you want to walk around with like a ski mask or like one of those uh, fake masks that you see in old movies of some guy with, with like circular glasses and a big nose with a mustache and giant eyelashes, you really can't escape this technology. And even during the pandemic, when I wasn't not wearing a mask, I went into a convenience store and the one of the ATMs had a facial recognition aspect to it. And it saw me and it told me, I'm not wearing a mask. And I was like, well, f- screw you. I know. Why are you trying to shame me, bro? Um, so all that. So that's one aspect of Japan Society 5.0. AI chatbot giving farmers tool to help navigate changing world. I don't have enough time to go into that today. Uh, (laughs) uh, Microsoft opens AI innovation lab in Kobe in Japan first. Oh yes. Microsoft will come in, buy all of the startups, make them worse, and then fill it with middle managers that will then hound you with useless details so they can fill their spreadsheets inside of their Microsoft manager tools that have been nerfed by the Microsoft corporations that we're still bogged down by middle managers hounding us everywhere we go. Um, And this one, last one comes to us. This is actually very big news in Japan last week. The Asahi Shimbum. Zengin Interbank System Restored After Two Days of Transfer Chaos. Uh, So the Japanese banking system has been experiencing a lot of their so-called glitches. I prefer to call them system failures. Anybody that calls a complete banking collapse a glitch is like saying, um, I got a cut on my head, but my head was cut off. It's just a little scratch. No. It's not a little scratch. It's it's a decapitation, man. Uh, you've been decapitated. You can't take that. You can't you can't reduce a, a decapitation to a scratch. But that's what the Japanese media likes to do. Let's use the word glitch. Um, an interbank data communication system was restored on October twelfth, following two days of malfunctions that affected more than two point five million transactions. Um, according to Zengen Net, interbank transactions at the affected financial institutions resumed on the system at 8.30 a.m. on the day. Around 870,000 uncompleted money transfers will be handled in due course. Um, let's take a look. The failure occurred in the relay computer that connects the Zengen system and various financial institutions. The Zengen system, I guess, is this new thing. It's like a software thing and it connects all the banks together. Let's just simplify it. Specifically, the problem stemmed from functions that check whether interbank fees are appropriate. ZengenNet modified the program (laughs) on the night of October 11th to the following morning. It said the system was restored after simplifying variations of the checking functions. The organization also corrected the number of affected banks from 11 to 10, saying that transactions at J.P. Morgan Chase Bank were unaffected. That came from higher up, didn't it? Zengen Net had tried twice to fix the program but failed. Um, and on October 11th, Zengen Net said 2.55 million money transfers were disrupted over two days, potentially delaying payments for salaries, school fees, public assistance, and other expenses. Obviously, the people writing this report know nothing about technology or banking, and they're just being told what to write because it's been restored. Everything is fine. We're back to safety, Japan. But 
as you can see, why would you, why, why would a system update totally destroy 10 banks' payment systems? I'm putting this into Japan Society 5.0 because we're supposed to be like this whole digital ease of function. Everything's just a tap on the screen and you get your money and you don't have to drive anywhere. But then somebody somewhere makes an update and the whole system collapses. And this isn't some update for something minor. This is the banking system. 2.5, how many million, almost 3 million transactions got screwed around with because of a banking update. This has been going on in Japan for years, by the way. Uh, it affected smaller banks than bigger banks than even bigger banks. And instead of like saying, how do we not do this? Every time they try to not do it, they just do it even more. So uh, the Japan Society 5.0 initiatives cannot move forward under the current leadership we got going in here because everybody is like 90 years old and those are the leaders of the companies. And then like their subordinates are 70 years old and they're regarded as young because they're 20 years younger than the 90 year olds. And then it's like, if you're really, really young, you're 50 years old. And by now people who are 50 years old are like the kind of some of the older coders that we'd ever see in the mainstream sense of the word. Um, we're not talking about the, the people that made the, the Nazi codes to kill all the Jews, that was early coding, wasn't it? Uh, to, to circle back there, um, we're talking like if you're 50 years old, you're probably and, and like a serious computer programmer. You're probably pretty familiar with how a lot of these things can work. But interbank operability. Ugh. And so we're putting this into Japan Society 5.0 today to say these people don't know what they're doing. They think they know what they're doing. Then they go ahead and do what they're doing. And then they make us pay for it by screwing it all up. And then they, they make us go to the bank anyways and say, we had a system failure. No, we had a glitch. Sorry. We had a glitch. So everything that you did to put all your information online and we were going to interoperate and everything's just going to go choo, 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 choo. After all of that, we're still going to make you come to us. And now you got to bring your paperwork along with you in order to make this digital transformation happen. It happens every single time. These people don't know what they're doing. They're dangerous. They're stupid. No, they're not stupid. They're naive and they're, and they're arrogant, I would say. I, I wouldn't say stupid because you can't be that dumb and make such things in the first place. You got to be pretty freaking smart to do that. But the, the aspects of just updating a software program and unleashing it onto the world or onto the nation's banking system only to have it collapse. Not good. And are they going to learn or are they just going to increase their software functionality and interoperability by layering more software onto the software, underpaying their um, software writers so they just download it from GitHub, move on to the next contract job after that, and never look back while the whole system kind of struggles with this shit code so that's what's going on code is shit code is shit the fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the internet of things into new wisdom society 5.0 a technology-based human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. 
It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. We will have access to the latest medical advancements at a low cost, no matter where we are. AI and robots will enhance human ability <laughs> and expand our infinite possibilities, AI helping us enjoy more fulfilling lives. Oh. Society 5.0. For Failing the up of human because lives. there's nowhere else to fail. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, it's all just getting dumb. May as well laugh at it. Uh, I think that's going to call it a day. I had some, I had a lot of other things. I might even record another podcast this afternoon and upload it tomorrow. More focusing on um, Japanese markets and things like that. Why don't I do it? I'll do that and I'll keep this to an hour long. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Japan Web Podcast. Remember, we are podcasting to compliant, to podcasting 2.0 compliant. What does that mean? It means that we are using protocols instead of big tech to rely on the distribution methods of podcasts. So if you're interested in that, go to podcast index or podcast apps.com or just look up podcasting 2.0 and get yourself familiar with that. Apple's going to be censoring more. Spotify is going to be censoring more. Google's going to be censoring more. Why not get ahead of the censorship and download a podcasting 2.0 compliant app? I'm using Podverse. There's CurioCaster. There's Fountain. There's more. They all um, accept um, Bitcoin micropayments from you, the listener, to the podcaster. Uh, you can connect a GetAlby wallet to that and send Satoshi's Bitcoin micropayments to the podcaster of your choice, who is lit, who can accept lightning payments. I can. Or you can go to paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT. That's paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT. Make a donation there. Or the least you can do is go to the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. That's MatthewPMBigelow.com. And send us some traffic. Check out the show notes. Look at some of those photos and more. Until the next time, everybody. Ja. Mata. Ne. From the arm of the and the Samon Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. Signing off.